Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode, we are going to talk about data visualization on social media, kind of a little bit. And well, you'll see, basically, you'll see how we're going to talk about this. So to help me talk about this, I'm very happy to have returning to the show, Scott Murray, who is the principal learning scientist at O'Reilly. Scott, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you. Hey, everybody. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. I'm okay. I'm good. (laughs) I mean, I'm great. No, I'm great. Everything's great. great. You're great. Everything's good. You're just, you're just catching up on sleep. That's all. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I have this sort of um, cryptic trailer here to start this off about data viz on social media, but it's really not about putting data viz on social media, I don't think, right? It's really about this new social media channel that you started on Mastodon. Do you want to talk a little bit about the inspiration for that and and what's going on 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 the platform? Sure. Do we want to assume people have heard of Mastodon? No, probably not. Okay. Well, Mastodon, (laughs) it's really, really old and they're extinct now, but we're bringing them back. (laughs) Um, actually there's no reason it's called Mastodon. I think the, the initial creator of the project just thought it it sounded like a cool animal. So it's called Mastodon. The, the thing itself, anyway, it's basically like an open source decentralized version of Twitter. So it's, it's software, it's a social network, but it's, um, you know, free to the people ad free. Nobody's mining your data. Uh, it can't be manipulated at least not easily by foreign governments to sway elections and that sort of thing. Um, so really it's like open source free social network. It's based on Twitter. So it looks a lot like Twitter, uh, but it's also definitely different. Uh, instead of calling them tweets, we call them toots. Uh, right. Instead of retweeting, you can boost somebody's toot. Uh, <laughs> and to make it a Which, little more. I mean, you, you, laugh, you laugh when you say that, right? Like in your head, you're laughing when you say that, right? Uh, or am yeah. I just the old, I'm the only eight-year-old boy on this talk. Um, on this, it's on this pretty concept. funny. And this is actually, actually what <laughs> makes it more humane. And that's sort of what is interesting to me about it is it's this, it's a huge, you know, distributed open source software project. It's found a lot of uh, new users, new success in the last uh, several months, especially um, most recently, kind of the last couple of weeks, like the delete Facebook campaign reaction to all the Facebook right. stuff. So every time there's some, data breach or, you know, something in the news about Twitter or Facebook or one of those other ones, uh, a whole ton of people joined Mastodon to try it out. And um, anyway, I, I was interested in it because Twitter was like, when I joined Twitter several years ago and started using it to chat about data viz stuff, it was felt a lot smaller and a lot friendlier and really inviting. And mm-hmm. I, I totally, you know, throughout this, I'll acknowledge this is just my experience. A lot of white male privilege here. I'm not getting like harassed much by people on Twitter, not having a lot of the really negative experiences that people are having. But with that in mind, I found it pretty welcoming and really easy to reach out to people, um, other folks in the field, uh, probably like yourself, who I hadn't even met in person yet. And um, it was just really nice. And then, you know, like political stuff started creeping in and, uh, big data stuff started creeping in and all these reports of, I mean, even more before, like all the political manipulation stuff, there's, um, your reports of abuse and Twitter, like was like failing to do anything about it. And everyone's like, look, these are solved problems. Why don't you guys solve this problems? And so everyone's speculating because they can't provide real answers. So anyway, I was, um, just like disconnected from Twitter for several months and wasn't that into it. But when I do go back on, I really miss that sort of getting quick updates on everybody's amazing projects, seeing what's going on with the field, 
Like I find it a really good way to find out what's going on with the field and interact with people. So anyway, when I heard about Mastodon, I thought, well, this would be awesome. What if we have like a mini version of Twitter, like a data viz only Twitter uh, or, you know, visual creative coding and data sort of Twitter where all the people that I want to talk to are there and we can talk to each other, but we don't have to deal with all the other kind of garbage that's floating around. Um, by which I mean anger and vitriol and fake news and algorithmically manipulated timelines and, you know, just use it as an actual communications medium to connect people to people. So that's what I'm trying to do with uh, Mastodon. And the instance is called viz.social, V-I-S.social. And it's free for anybody to sign up. And I hope people will join. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was going to be my question, right? It's open. So it's not like you are the gatekeeper. Um, it's not like a Slack channel where you sort of have to invite people, right? Anyone can log in. So I guess what's the mechanism by which you try to keep it small or intimate or, I mean, is there a mechanism for that? Or are you just going to sort of see, you know, in some ways just sort of see what happens and if it gets so popular, that's kind of great. Um, and if it remains small, that's also kind of great. Yeah, it's a really good question. So right now I'm just checking at this moment, we have 855 accounts, uh, 855 users. Now, most of those people are not super active. It's a lot of people just sort of like joining to claim their usernames and maybe they'll check it out later. Yeah. Um, So a much smaller proportion of those are actually really active. But answering that question, I I would like to keep it small, like human scale. And some, some instances do close down registration. So they'll like, you know, have a cooling off period and then reopen it or um, mm-hmm. there are even certain ones that there's a really interesting one called social.coop um, that doesn't doesn't exactly charge money, but it's cooperatively run. So uh, basically the users are co-owners in the service and it's set up as a legit like nonprofit cooperative. And so you chip in a dollar a month or something like that. Oh. Um, and then everybody has input and decision-making about how it's administered and, you know, what sort of customizations go into it and what the code of conduct is and the rules and, um, it's like a f- fascinating social experiment. So I, I think that's really interesting. I'm not doing that. I'm not charging. I'm asking for donations occasionally just to help cover the hosting costs. And people have been mm-hmm. super generous with that. So I haven't lost money on it yet. So that feels like a huge win. My goals were like, hopefully do something really interesting as an experiment, <laughs> connect people yeah. and not lose money on it. That was my goal. <laughs> It's pretty pretty good. I like that. But it does, uh, I guess, to explain how it works, like to keep it small, you know, there, I don't know how many Mastodon users total right now. It's not, it might not be hundreds of thousands. It's not millions. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's relatively small, obviously, compared to all of Twitter. But the way it works is you have different instances. So like viz.social is its own small little social network, but all the networks can talk to the other networks. Um, so you think about sort of like how your email is set up, you know, you have your email at john at policyviz.net or something. And so you kind of own policyviz.net, but you can email people in other domains, right? Um, so it's right. decentralized in that way. So in the same way, Mastodon, like you can have a sort of main home uh, or you can have multiple accounts on different places. So you, like for me, like viz.social is my Mastodon home and you have a local timeline. So that's sort of where you can see what, Everybody in your instance is tooting about, uh, but then there's also like a global, it's called the federated timeline. So it's like what everybody on your local instance and then everybody that they're following and 
and so on out into the broader world. So there's sort of these different levels of engagement. And for me, the part that's most interesting is this like local timeline idea. So it's like, if we can get yeah. enough interesting, smart, uh, diverse group of people, um, we could really foster some helpful discussion, um, not just announcing projects, but like really have it be a more less snarky, more humane place to provide right. critique on projects and advice and suggestions and point toward tools and approaches and all that, all that sort of good stuff. So I've, I'm one of the casual users. I drop in and drop out. So are there features? So really, I'm just asking you to help me. Um, so <laughs> it's like really just about me, really, Scott. Just, you know, how can you help me? Um, are there features of Mastodon that aren't on Twitter? Things that, things that you know, sort yeah. of um, maybe help that engagement that you don't get from Twitter? Yeah. So one thing, well, you have a few more characters to work with. <laughs> that, right. that was its initial thing. Uh, <laughs> it has a content warning feature, uh, which is sort of like you could consider, you know, that's the preferred language now instead of trigger warning, a content warning. Because um, content warning could be like a spoiler, you know, to a movie, or it could be... Uh, you know, you're posting about politics or uh, something, you know, mental health or something more traumatic um, that might be troublesome for other people and maybe they don't want to see it. So one thing that's pretty cool is every time you toot, you can turn on the content warning feature. So it sort of buries your whatever your post is under a little flag and people have to sort of actively tap it to reveal it and uh, click onto right. it. Um, and that's fascinating to me too because um, – people use it really generously. Like it's very, it's considering because it's optional, right? Like you could start going, yeah. pasting, uh, you know, posting lots of like triggering, hateful, whatever garbage stuff. And, you know, there are ways people can, can block you and filter you out and all that stuff. But, um, but people use it very proactively, like, Hey, I'm, I'm feeling down today, or this isn't so much on viz.social, but some of the more general instances where people are getting maybe a little yeah. more personal, um, yeah. or, or it could be like, oh, usually I post about data viz, but today I'm going to, I'm so mad at our government or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, yeah. I'm not here yeah. to read about that. That's kind of why I left Twitter. So, um, people will use a content warning feature for that. Um, it's interesting yeah. that it's like, it's, it's like an opt in rather than an opt out, which is, you know, obviously a whole line of economics and psychology literature about the differences when you have a program where you have to opt out versus opting in. Um, and it does make me think about how people opt in to use that as opposed to having it the other way where if everything was sort of tagged like that and you have to untag it, what would the feed look like? You know, how, how, what would the differences be between the two, those two feeds? Yeah. And there's, there's another feature Mastodon doesn't have, uh, <laughs> that I think it would be really interesting. We had a threaded discussion about it, um, you know, like a lot of the complaints of Twitter too is like kind of once you follow enough people, there's so much uh, again garbage. Like, oh, maybe you know, I love love when John talks about his data viz, but when he posts pictures of his lunch, uh, it's just what a waste of my time. You know, I don't want to see it yeah. unless it's really delicious, like um, <laughs> you know, like the nachos you were talking about or something. Right, right. Before. Yeah. Um, so, like, I I don't know. I think it would be interesting to have a sort of significance flag. Uh, that also would be sort of opt-in. So, you know, be optional, but you could, you could say, oh, I'm posting about my lunch. So this gets flagged as, you know, trivial. Like I, I'm just 
spewing right. stuff out. It's you like, a, really like, a, like you grade your own. Yeah. Like you grade yeah. your own, yeah. your own tubes. Yeah. yeah. Or, Hey, I launched this huge new project or I have a new book out or, um, you know, here's something that might actually be more important that doesn't happen several times a day anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. So then, it, you know, you could, you could imagine having sort of different timelines or, you know, oh, maybe today I want to see all the nitty gritty weirdness or today, like I'm just here to sort of catch up on what I missed in the last day, say. So I don't know, that, that doesn't really exist. That's just an idea. But what I love is that this is open source and developers are super, super engaged. Uh, so you can toot at them. You can post feature requests. Like there's lots of discussions and it's really interesting that there's, without the profit motive, all, all the decisions are made around sort of what is best for the community of users and what is best for kind of fostering human connection rather than driving people apart. Um, and mm -hmm. one example of that is since Mastodon started, people have been asking for this feature to like on Twitter, you can quote a tweet, you can like retweet, mm -hmm. but then put your own sort of commentary right. on top of it. And the Mastodon developers have identified that as just generally being more divisive and like being in incentivizing more snark and kind of vitriol um, more often than being kind of useful in terms of having a positive like human connection. <laughs> so they've made the explicit decision like, no, we're not going to do that. So you can boost tweets, which is just like resharing them out to your timeline. Um, but if you want to comment on them, that's a whole separate thread. So they, they actually encourage you to, right. you know, if you have something to say, respond back to the person who wrote that thing and connect with that person. Don't just comment quasi anonymously and say, oh, isn't this person such an idiot? Or this is so dumb. I can't believe they did that. But I'm not going to engage right. with them directly because that would be too scary. So they're saying just, you know, yeah. just engage directly. We're all people here. Yeah. Now, I want to get back to this idea of using Mastodon or any social media really to have comment and critique and discussion about DataViz projects. Um, because as you mentioned, oh, are you trying think, to keep you know, me on Twitter's... topic? Is that what's going on? Uh, no, 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 not, <laughs> no, not at all. No, not at all. I, you know, I now have a whole, I just took a list. I have a whole bunch of new techniques and strategies for okay, Mastodon. Good. So good. Good. Okay, good. Uh, but, I mean, there's certainly the snark on Twitter, you know, this, this project sucks. This project is great. And then people move mm -hmm. on. Okay. And it was one of the reasons why I started the Yeah. Right. And it's one of the reasons why I started the help me this site was this idea of let's get more constructive, criticism and, yeah. and, you know, force people to say, oh, here's my idea for how I can make this better. Yeah. But I think one of the reasons like Help Me Viz hasn't really taken off or, or a lot of the other projects is that at least in like the pre-release uh, version or in the draft version, I think people are sort of hesitant to put their stuff mm -hmm. out there. Um, and um, there's lots of reasons for that, mm -hmm. obviously. But um, have you seen uh, thus far on Mastodon people being a little more... I don't know if the courageous is the right word, but maybe courageous with their, with their draft projects and seeking advice and feedback and support. Yeah. I wouldn't say there's been uh, a ton of that yet, but yeah, people, at least on viz.social, it's interesting because you have more characters to work with. And so I've noticed a lot of yeah. people posting something like, um, you know, here, here's a link to a new project or here, here's some images or something. And then they'll really qualify. They'll say, you know, hey, I, I love comments. And then it's like, no, 
no, really, like, I really am asking for your feedback. Like, yeah. <laughs> your feedback. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not sort of like, oh, look at this awesome thing I did and I'm putting it out there. I would love comments, but really, I just want you to see how I'm super awesome. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. well, no, actually, I'm I'm actually asking for feedback and people are really good at clarifying yeah. that. And um, I've seen a lot of, like, helpful conversations so far, like people responding with other ideas and, you know, links to other references. And, oh, you check out this person addressed that same problem. And, um, yeah, so I think, you know, I, I would love to see more of that. Um, I, I want to figure out how to, you know, help foster that however we can. Right, right. Okay, I'm going to move you to another sure. topic. I don't need to keep you on a single topic. Um, I want to hear about what you're doing at O'Reilly. You've been there now for what, like two, two years? Almost two and a half years, yeah. Two and a half, okay. Um, um, yeah, well, I say I'm designing with data for human and machine learning. Uh, I'm in a research and development group called the Learning Group at O'Reilly. Uh, we do s- stuff with machine learning. My particular interest is on online learning. So uh, let's see, people probably know O'Reilly. Like we, you know, the company started uh, as a book publisher, technology book publisher, uh, but now we have conferences, events, uh, videos. Um, and we have this online learning platform called Safari. And through that platform, we feed all, all those things go through the platform. But then we also have uh, live online training events, uh, like several every day. So you can go on there and sign up for any of those. And they're mostly, you know, they skew toward technology topics. But we also have like business, design, uh, finance, you know, management, job skills type stuff. Um, so it's very much for a you know, professional audience. Um, mm-hmm. But one reason I joined the company is I'm really interested in, I, I used to teach at the University of San Francisco in the design program and did some online teaching that way and was really, and also taught with the, um, sorry, the Knight, Knight Center at UT Austin did a, what we called a Bach, a big online course, not a massive open online course, but just a big one. And, you know, I, I'm really interested in how software mediates experience and how software mediates that human connection and what i love about Mm -hmm. o'reilly just as a company is although you know we have plenty of geeks and like really geek out on the technology stuff um it's fundamentally about connecting people like that's the company's mission is connecting connecting people who want to learn things with the experts and facilitating that exchange so in the online learning you know we do not do lectures we don't do um we, we just try and connect you with the experts. So we do, um, like our courses have as many exercises as possible, like they're hands-on as possible. So when you finish a course with us, uh, you know, within two hours or three hours, however long it is, you should have already had practice doing the thing that we said we would help you learn how to do. So when it's done, you know, you're not just applying those principles for the first time, but you've already done it. And so you just get to get better at it. Right. And uh, it yeah, seems to be. I was to say it seems consistent with the with the viz.social, right? I mean, you, it, it seems that that your central interest these days is about how to use technology to get people to build virtual communities. Yeah, and the and the word, you know, I I use the word community very carefully because I think it's really yeah. <laughs> it's so so often misused in this context, right? It's like, "Oh, we both have uh-huh. user accounts on this system where community yay." It's like, "Well, I don't know if that means we're close or we know anything about each other. Or we would support each other in the hard right. times, but you know, so yeah, I use that word carefully, but definitely to facilitate, you know, humane uh, collaboration. Like, um, mm-hmm. so like one thing, one project I'm most proud of at O'Reilly is 
something that's often done very poorly online is like collaborative projects. And uh, so we, we're trying to recreate, say, say you go to one of our conferences and you go to a workshop and, you know, there's 50 people in the room or 100 or 200 people in the room or whatever. And the presenter says, okay, well, here's this exercise. We're going to break up into small groups. It's really easy to just point to tables, say, okay, each table of four people or whatever, you're a group, work on this together. But if you're online and you have like two or 300 people in the class, you know, how do you facilitate splitting them up into small groups? So uh, we built something called GroupBot, which is kind of what it sounds. It's really creatively named. Uh, it's a bot that splits people up into groups <laughs> and every which way. So the instructor can say, hey, hey, GroupBot, uh, you know, it's time for the next exercise. I need uh, groups of five people each. And it'll go blah, 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 and split everybody up. Or say, hey, group bot, split the whole class into three evenly sized groups, you know, 33% each mm. or whatever. You know, your group A, your group B, your group C, and we give you each separate tasks. And then we come back and talk about how it went. So there's all, the, all these different ways you can sort of split up the classes. And it, it sounds weird because it's just over Slack. You know, this is just over chat. Um, but mm. people surprisingly, it works really well. Like you throw people into a group and you say, hey, you have five minutes to solve this problem and come back with a proposal or some answer or response. Yeah. And they're like, okay, let's go. <laughs> like we have five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> go, go. Yeah. No, I, it, it, it's true. When I when I taught at Micah a couple of years ago, we used Adobe Connect was the, mm-hmm. was the platform and it, it's fine. Um, but one of the things that the administration would encourage is to break people into mm-hmm. groups and to get them in their own rooms and they would do some little project and same side of thing. You have 10 minutes, you have 15 minutes to come up with ideas. You know, that was a data viz class. So come up with ideas, how to visualize, mm-hmm. you know, this little data set, you know. Um, and it's hard when you have people all over the world you know, together in this sort of, you know, in these online mm-hmm. platforms, how do you get them? I mean, I think it's a general challenge with teaching online. How do you get people engaged mm-hmm. when you as the instructor can't see their faces mm-hmm. or, you know, it's so easy to minimize the window on your computer mm-hmm. and check your email. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so all those exercises, things where people have to be super mm-hmm. active and super, you know, you force them to do something um, is how you sort of, you know, grab that engagement, grab that. Well, attention. one thing is we're really lucky because we mostly have a professional audience. So nobody's, uh, we're not yeah. a degree granting program academic right. institution. So, well, and even the, the MICA program, that's grad school. So presumably those students chose to be there and they're committed uh, yeah. as opposed to maybe undergrads who might be, you know, depending. Right. Might be or, or just a general webinar, right? Where you have, yeah. you know, just, yeah. you know. 300 people yeah. show up and you know who knows how many of them are actually yeah. paying attention but you ask them some poll question um then you find out pretty quickly well and actually what we do with group bot is before we assign people a small group so say the presenter says hey group bot uh split everybody up into groups of four um before it assigns groups let, let's say we have 100 people logged in it'll actually ping all 100 people and this is all over like direct message on slack so say hey it's time for groups do you want to join a group and only if they proactively click yes do they get put into a group so everybody who's not responding who's like a little checked out or who's just listening to the audio or they got up to you know go to the bathroom or what you know like they're they're not at their desks anymore it's sort of like that check of like hey are you really there hey how engaged are you because we only want the people really engaged you know, to, to be there. So we end up with groups. Who are and, those, and so those people are not, they're not put into a room at all. No, not until they click. Yes. The you know, they can click. Yes. Until they click later, yes but yeah. it's sort of, 
you know, we also for our, for our audience, like, you know, things come up, <laughs> people are taking these classes um, at weird yeah, yeah. times, as you said, everyone's in a different time zone. Uh, usually people are doing these at their desk at work. So, you know, things come up and they get interrupted or whatever. So we have to design things to be as flexible as possible and basically help, help people yeah. get as much out of the course as possible, even if they're not, um, you know, able to commit hundred percent of their attention the way we would love them to. But for the people who can commit, right. Right. you know, we want them to absolutely get the most out of the course. Right. Cool. Sounds like good stuff. And you're enjoying it. It's pretty fun. Yeah. And we're, um, I want to say we're hiring. So <laughs> it's, it's really interesting place to be. That That's not really visualization <laughs> related. I'm also doing some other visualization stuff um, that I could talk about. But yeah, it's, it's a fun place to be. That's great. What else do we want to talk about? We were talking about some stuff before we started recording. We can, we can chat about all sorts of good stuff. Oh, I want, well, I did want to mention, uh, I don't have any answers. I want to talk about like diversity inclusion. Um, yeah, in right. The right. field, but also on this viz.social experiment. So I, I failed to mention that before, you know, right now, as Andy Kirk pointed out and, uh, Kristen Henry and a few other people on there have pointed out rightly. So, uh, for some reason, <laughs> it's like overwhelmingly white dudes uh, or people who, you know, I'm not going to say everyone identifies as white dudes, but I'm, I'm going to classify them as such. Um, that, right. That's who's participating on biz.social and not, not entirely, but I don't know, 90%, like a, a very large proportion. And I was surprised, partly I just sort of thought because Mastodon is kind of has all these, you know, anti-abuse features and things built in. It's supposed to be so much better at that for Twitter that I thought it would just kind of automatically seem more welcoming to a more diverse crowd. Um, But I haven't really publicized it at all. I mean, I'm mentioning it now on the podcast. I'd only publicized it on Twitter. So I don't know if that reflects, like that's the demographic of folks who follow me on Twitter. And so that just reflects that, or that's who is interested in trying a new social network or that's who can get over the weird name of the thing or, you know, <laughs> you know I, I don't know what the factors are, right. but um, yeah, I, I did just want to mention that I find that to be, again, this is just totally like a side project and I'm not, unfortunately not able to put like a ton of time into it, but I'm looking into, I, I'm asking for help and looking for ideas in how to, make sure it feels like a very inclusive space and we can get a lot of different voices on there because frankly, it's not going to be super useful in the current incarnation. If we just have, you know, a lot of people who look like me or have similar background to me, um, you know, clapping each other on the back, right. like, Oh, look, you did something that looks like something I would like. So that looks great. Good job. <laughs> right, right, right. So is it the people who are, active on viz.social are white dudes or is it um <laughs> the majority of people who signed up because i because i feel like yeah you know there's 800 or so people signed up and there seems to be a smaller group that's active and i just wonder if a lot i mean i i think for me personally as a white dude um i think for me it's like it's another like social platform and so i just wonder I mean, I guess that wouldn't really vary by gender or race, though. Um, although maybe it does. I, don't I know. think it depends if you're more um, of a dude or more of a bro. Are you sure you're on the dude side? <laughs> I have no idea, to be mm-hmm. honest. I'm, I'm, I'm getting sure, too I'm old. I'm sure there's this. a quiz you online know, just, that will tell you. 
I'm sure there is. Yeah, I'll find I'll find the quiz and put it in the show notes. Are you dude or a bro? But I, so I, you know, I don't. <laughs> but I, but but you're. I mean, you're you're spot on. And there's this whole, you know, ongoing discussion now, obviously, about diversity across multiple mm-hmm. fields. You know, I sort of span multiple fields, and you know, economics has tended to be very. Uh, white male dominated Mm -hmm. and recently there's been a lot of interesting research on how women have been treated in the field both you know how how their papers are reviewed Mm -hmm. and published and not and also some of the online um social like econ social job uh boards uh, are pretty nasty towards Mm -hmm. different groups um and so i think there's sort of a reckoning happening a little bit in the in the economics field and, and lots of other fields so I don't know. It, it's also interesting how people respond as like, well, I'm not a racist, which is really not the claim. Like if you say to someone, well, your conference only has white dudes in it. You know, the response, I don't think the response from a person should be, well, I'm not a racist. You know, I just, you know, I just, these are the people that I found. Right. John, like, are you talking about any but, instance in particular, or is this just a random no, example? Just, <laughs> just a random example. Just a random <laughs> Just a random example. I'm just, you know, like, like I don't know. It, it's hard, I think, from everybody's perspective yeah. to find the voices that need to be heard. And I don't think it necessarily has to use the, the word racist or sexist. It's just being attuned to the, all these different groups that, you know, their voices should be heard and have, may have not had the opportunity in many cases. Um, yeah. I don't know. Is that right? I mean, I, th- I think that's the the core of it, right? And it's the idea. I think the challenge is how do we embrace all these different groups and perspectives, which don't necessarily have to be, you know, biological, right? It can be gender, race. It could be where you live in the world. It can be, you know, yeah. urban, rural, industrial, not. I don't know. Well, we have. I mean, I think. That, I think. No, go ahead. I was just say. I think you know. I know Enrico and Moritz and the Data Stories podcast and I have both been frustrated with trying to get people from outside like Europe and the U S to come on our, our Mm -hmm. shows. And I know they do like an international around the world thing they do at the end of every year, which I think Mm -hmm. is really cool. Um, but it is hard. And, you know, I think that's just because of our, all of our, you know, just our networks are grouped that way. Right. right? And that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like my, my network is going to bias English speaking, (laughs) (laughs) folks for sure right Right. and then probably uh skews a lot more male than i would want to and skews more white than i would want to and like frankly that's what made uh i know one thing that is makes me uncomfortable talking about this is well geez what if what if i'm not being inclusive enough or not to you know sort of helping bring people in because like it's actually just reflecting my own network and like the people that I'm following or whose work I'm paying attention to or whose work I value or have questions about or find provocative. And so maybe, you know, hopefully this isn't just reflecting my personal bias, which would then make me feel like a horrible person and all that, you know, like there shouldn't have to be this, you know, you said like embracing different populations, you know, it shouldn't be like, Oh, I'm going to really, go out of my way and embrace all these other really equally valid, great ideas, like these wonderful people. It should be like, no, I should already have been paying attention to all of this. So I hope it's yeah. not me. It, yeah. I'm sure some of it will be me. But um, I used to run a, uh, just out of college, like a bulletin board 
<laughs> PHP bulletin board and like was sort of like community manager for that as a side project thing. And in my experience, running and I'm I'm no expert in this, but like running like facilitating sort of online quote unquote communities is just a ton of actual work. Um, you know, it's like reassuring yeah. people. You know, things get out of control. Someone misinterpreted something. Um, so even if people are polite, ninety nine percent of the time there's like flare ups or uh, you know all, all kinds of issues. And there's a lot of just like things go more smoothly if there's kind of a admin, webmaster, whatever you want to call them, uh, mm-hmm. sort of you know actively facilitating. And when I first joined Mastodon, um, I joined Mastodon.art because there was no data viz uh, Mastodon. It was just a general art art one. And the curator, uh, I don't know the person's actual name. Actually, they just go by curator at mastodon.art. They're really super active and hands-on and like boosts everybody's work and like helps, you know, it's like a lot of uh, people who make their their living that way. And so they're like, they're helping spread the word about their art. And I think it's like really nice that they're so hands-on. And I had this dream that Mastodon, you know, we could have this really great instance and great discussion without me committing hours and hours and hours of like, you know, right. volunteer side project time. But I think that might just be what's needed is we might need people, you know, like, like actual, like outreach efforts and inviting people in and, yeah. uh, you know, bringing them into the conversation and making sure that there's value in the conversation for everybody. So it's not just like, Hey, we need women. We need people of color. We need uh, gender queer people. We need trans folks. We need, you know, like all these people, it's not just like, Oh, we need that mm-hmm. to like make our numbers better. Uh, right, you know, there kind right. of are no numbers. It's just me. It's just this side project. It's that you know this conversation should be more valuable for everybody if everybody is there. That's my theory, yeah. anyway. I hope I hope it's right. I mean, I think it's a good theory. <laughs> I, I, I mean, well, I think we're I think we're like committing the cardinal sin. Also, it's like two white guys talking about diversity well, and inclusion. So this exactly, like, totally, right? and but but the reason I wanted to. <laughs> to come today and talk about this since you asked me is seriously in all in all seriousness just like we were talking about people on viz.social asking for critique uh hey no really i do want advice i'm i'm really asking if there are you know folks listening out there to the two white guys talking um i'm i'm interested in exploring all kinds of ideas and like you know if they're if you check this out and you're like oh, this is uncomfortable. I, I, I would never join that. I want to know why it's uncomfortable. And it's not your job to tell me why it makes you uncomfortable. But I would like to know if you have a second. And, you know, if you have examples of other great, uh, inclusive, safe, productive online communities, things that aren't Twitter or Facebook or you know, whatever else, uh, you know, <laughs> let me know. I just would just love pointers because this is not my not my area. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I'll put the links to to the Mastodon sites, and you've mentioned a few others. I'll put those up there as well in the show notes, and um, to a few other things so people can great. check them out. Cool, Scott. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. It's been fun and uh, yeah. And thank you so much, and thanks to anybody who made it through all of my rants today. <laughs> <laughs> You're a hero. If they've made it this far, they're they're, they're used that's to it by true. now. If they've made it this far. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning into this week's episode. Please do reach out to me or to Scott uh, if you have comments or ideas or suggestions about viz.social or any of the other things that we've talked about today. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>